Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast coming to you on or just after Thanksgiving. Depends on Steve, and we're cool with either one, so uh, enjoy and or I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. And... Uh, Miles, how will you be spending Thanksgiving? I will be spending Thanksgiving with the uh, extended family out here in Albuquerque, uh, most likely at my grandparents, and uh, it'll probably be a pretty low-key affair this year. Well, will you be celebrating Knivesgiving? Uh, I thought we were calling it It's Giving Knife. That works, too. But you already celebrated, right? I, I celebrated both, yes. <laughs> you, gave it, you gave it work, as it were. I gave knife and I gave giving. Yes, and uh, we talked about uh, your knife take and my giving take. There we go. Last week, so we're going to double back to your take on Thanksgiving, which was also going to be joined by Michael Kennedy, but uh, he had to push another week. So he swears he's not avoiding us. Uh, it's very. It, we're, we were joking about it. It will work out um, next week probably. So maybe all the better, considering uh, some of the other shit that's going on. But we have uh, other things we can talk about. And now Michael Kennedy doesn't have to listen to us uh, talk about the color purple. Not that he may not be interested, but, you know, maybe not his vibe slash uh, what he's uh, here to promote. Ostensibly, he's promoting something besides just hanging out with us. Well, exactly. Maybe it's both. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, so we will let you know when Mike's on next. But, uh, yeah, so Miles really liked It's a Wonderful Knife. I enjoyed it. We look forward to talking to Mike. Uh, I had just seen uh, Thanksgiving last week when we recorded and enjoyed the hell out of that one before watching uh, Napoleon, and that was quite a day. You have since caught up to Thanksgiving. I have, actually, just earlier today. Excellent. I believe it was a double feature, but we'll get into that in a minute. Indeed. We both <laughs> did this one as part of uh, my fabled mismatch double features. As it should be. As it should be. Um, Thanksgiving is a movie that I've obviously been looking forward to for 16 years, ever since the trailer debuted uh, in front of Grindhouse, which remains one of my favorite theatrical experiences of all time. Grindhouse specifically, not just Thanksgiving. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I've always thought this idea had a ton of potential, and uh, it's finally out. And I've got to say it absolutely delivers on everything that I kind of hoped it would be. Um, it's not reinventing the wheel necessarily, but in terms of actually delivering on the promise of a, you know, holiday slasher that's specifically around this holiday, I feel like it gets yep. all sorts of mileage out of the holiday in question. And it's also just a really well-constructed slasher film on top of that. There's a great attention to set up some payoffs. The kills are nice mm -hmm. and gory. There's a wonderful undercurrent of black humor that I really enjoyed. There's some... yeah. <laughs> there's some the laughs get caught in your throat a little bit but they are funny um and there's even some tension to it it's you know sometimes when you get something that's kind of a comedy horror hybrid it can lean a little too far one way or the other but this one struck a really good balance i thought um mm -hmm. you know instantly iconic killer um you know just kind of it hits all the right notes and uh, i don't really have a ton of complaints about it no, my I, I didn't have any complaints. My one question was I wasn't sure if he played super fair with the reveal of the killer in terms of so I, where that person would be. So I I mean I would have to go back and sort of examine it to assess that for sure, but for me I called it from that person's first scene 
and mm-hmm. nothing I saw after that proved me wrong. So I guess I was kind of anticipating it the whole time. Sure, sure. I don't think we, I, I mean, I'm not really worried about spoilers. I think the people who wanted to see this movie have seen it, but uh, we don't have to say who it is or anything like that. But I think the Log- movie. Logistically, there's a few moments where I'm like, well, that was a that was a quick turnaround. I, I think we talked uh, yeah. last week about my slasher movie, you know, the deduction all comes down to quick changes and, you know, oh, could they run over there, get into the costume and run back over here in time or what have you. And there's, there's a couple of extraordinarily quick ones. Here. If, if Yes. No, if we're if we're going by the movie's sense of pacing as being mostly real time, which, you know, as with all films, it varies it, from scene to scene. It's like, a, but, yeah, it's a couple of days worth of time in total. But yeah, well, but even within a single sequence, like just as an example, there's a scene where the main girl is, um, you know, sitting in. um in like the sort of school lobby area waiting for her friends and the cops are just outside and it's kind of ambiguous exactly how much time is passing while she's there. Sure. Moments sure. like that, that, you know, can potentially create an opening. Well, because that's a, that's a, that's a scene in question that in hindsight you think about because all of the, what you eventually realize are your suspects descend around the same time, right? Exactly. And, where, and you know where they were and you know where they were right before. So, so it's like it, it's it, one of those moments where it could technically be any of them, but also the fact that they're all conveniently here makes you think it's none of them. It's, it's yeah. I, I would say in, he does a good job playing with that, I think. Yes, though. agreed. There's, it gives you options, which some of the worst ones, I think uh, there's only ever like two people that could conceivably be the person. And one is usually a very so you, obvious red herring. Yeah. Uh, but well, this I think one, I think degree, it gave you options. Yeah, well, this one, I think it gave you options. It gave you plausible reasons why it could or couldn't be. But then we find out who it is, at least in terms of like a personality motivation type thing. It it sort of clicked for me. Whereas, you know, sometimes you'll see yes. these things where it's like that person decided to be all elaborate and, you know, be all fantastical about this whole thing and create this weird like alter ego and all this extra stuff. But here it sort of all kind of came together in a way that I thought made sense yeah. within the realm I of think, this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think the um, the two people sort of initially positioned as like likely suspects mm-hmm. are very much meant for people who don't watch a ton of these, right? I think totally. the more you watch and the more you kind of go like, it's, well, it's not going to be them. But Well, th- that's they're... the exact kind of example of, yeah, like it's like, oh, well, that's too obvious. So that's why it's probably yeah. not them. Sure. Um, Without giving anything away, one of them in particular gets a ton of shots where it just cuts back to him and he's just like making a face or being like, oh, and it's like, okay, well, in hindsight, every single one of those shots was just a massive misdirect. But I I feel like the movie still plays fair. Well, it sets up him as like doofy in a way. Yeah. And like that's just his like when you realize that it's not this person, that they're just sort of like benevolently like "Mm, why I order, but they don't do anything about it. Right. Which is kind of cute. Um, the only the one, the one that I really kind of bumped up against a little bit in hindsight was the big sort of third act set pieces of Thanksgiving dinner. Like the whole movie is building towards that. Sure. Right? The trailer kind of gets into it. And everyone is either at that table because they've been essentially kidnapped mm-hmm. or they're watching it from a, like a like a command center. Right. Sure. And I'm curious about the person who is in two places at once, it sure seems like. Well, yes and no, because we do, without giving too much away, there is a little bit of a Saw 2 twist to exactly how that's playing out. And with that in mind, we maybe can't necessarily trust the movie 
in the sense of it accurately portraying when this person is there versus there. Well, I think that's how it works, right? If yeah. you're if you're just figuring out how it would work, it's that oh, there there's this is more pre-recorded as opposed to it's just a misdirect on where the uh, the signal is coming from, right? Uh, which you know. I think also to a certain degree, it's it's a horror movie and you go, well, this is what I want to do and we'll we'll make it work. And like, does it really matter that that much at the end of the day? Way more movies have been way more egregious about like, there's no way this could be the person. Right. Yeah, it's, it's the person. So in a way, that's kind of homaging the genre as well. Totally. But again, that's, you know, there's a whodunit aspect to it, but I would hardly say that's the most important element. It's you're here no. for the kills. You're here for the pitch black humor. You're here for the, you know. All the all the all the gnarly stuff, and on that level, yeah. e- even though it doesn't quite have the aesthetic of the grindhouse, I think it still definitely has that tone and that sense of gnarly anything goes kind of mentality. And yeah, in that regard, I think a it, little. I think it sort of marshals all of Eli Roth's somewhat juvenile predilections in a way that feels more focused. Sure, he's he's better as a technical filmmaker than I think people give him credit for. Uh, and like his setups, but yeah, his personality on screen is very, um, kid at a candy store. Just like, no, not a ton of self-control, I would say. And there's sort of self-control here. I, I would argue, especially the, um, the, um, trampoline sequence yeah. is really restrained. It is, but I appreciate that it is also isn't identical to the version we saw before. Yeah. He even has the, the thing you think about not be what happens. Exactly. Which I, I kind of appreciate it, which like. I don't know. I don't think we would have gotten anything new out of that particular shot. But I do think he's kind of at his uh, filmmaking best with the uh, r- riot at the beginning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, that's hell of a crackerjack opening. And not even necessarily like it's a horror scene, but not like a slasher scene in the traditional sense. And so it, it kind of creates a different kind of tension. And then this rising escalation that then is able to sort of carry through the rest of the movie. It's interesting, yeah, I, I, actually. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, real quick, like on that same note, um, I recently watched the uh, Scott Pilgrim anime that just dropped on Netflix. How is it? Uh, it's very good. It's very different than what most people are probably expecting. Um, oh. And what most, and so the reason I bring it up is sort of as comparison here. All the elements that you would hope for from the thanks the original Thanksgiving trailer, I think, are more or less represented in the film in one yeah. way or another. But usually, the not, various kills, yeah. but usually not one to one recreations. Like you know, there's the guy in the mascot suit that gets his head cut off, but it doesn't play out exactly the same, and the scenario is very no. different. And so it's just it's not necessarily playing the hits. And you know, to that same effect, you know, anyone going into the Scott Pilgrim thro- show thinking it's just going to be a recreation of the movie is in for quite a shock by the end of the first episode where where kind of does it go well i don't want to give anything away but uh let's just say scott pilgrim is not necessarily the lead of the scott pilgrim show Ooh, interesting it it ta- very uh isn't that isn't that what everyone got mad about with um masters of the universe uh yeah but that's more of a continuation this is kind of a it's almost like a reevaluation in a way. Like I wouldn't call it a remake. I wouldn't call it a sequel. It kind of different, different someone else's point of view. 
Kind of. I mean, it's all the same people involved, so it's not like it's a new creator coming in and putting their own twist. It's more like it's the yeah, same so team the real... coming back together after this time and sort of looking at it's the looking at the same. It's O'Malley, right? Yeah. Well, and Edgar Wright and it's the entire original cast is back, um, which is pretty cool. Which is pretty cool, and they're all great. Um, so it's kind of it's just them looking at their starting point and then taking it in a very different direction that. You know, as someone who's a fan of the original, I found quite satisfying. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Why would you not want to watch a uh, a different one? I have a suspicion about what it's about, but we we don't have to get into it in case people uh, are still. That's definitely it. not one I, I would f- want to spoil. No, I feel like towards the end of the year, maybe if especially once uh, Steve is back, he just spoke to them. Uh, if he wants to get into this, I'm I'm curious because I have a I have a suspicion. I want to know if I'm right, but well, we can talk not, about that uh, off air too. I guess we could. What is that? Netflix, right? Yeah. I might I might be interested. It's probably bite size, right? Very. Like the episodes are all like less than 30 minutes. Okay. And we got possibly got potential there. Um, would you see a Thanksgiving sequel? I mean, I know the answer is yes, but like, would you be interested or excited as opposed to like, I'll watch it? No, I would definitely see another one, it, especially if it's of the same level of quality. I think it's fit leaves it sort of very open ended without necessarily making a promise that it can't keep. Um, I think it's already on track to make its budget back and, you know, horror's cheap and almost always does well. And especially with the holiday, I have a feeling it's going to do pretty well. Let's see. It is up to 11 and a half million. Not amazing, but also. But on a budget of 15, it'll it'll be in the green before long. Exactly. And whatever, whatever overseas sales, because it's not going to make a ton of money overseas. Thanksgiving is very American. But um it will be a uh, a mildly profitable film, and uh, I'm sure if he wants to do another one, it will be there. I think so. I suspect he will not direct it, but I suspect there'll be another Thanksgiving. Remains to be seen. But yes, I, I would say after like, 16 yeah. years of waiting, I, I am quite satisfied with the film we got. Yeah. Thanksgiving Leftovers Part 2. There you go. Well, no, he said there will be no, no le- leftovers. That's the whole thing. I mean, I think the answer is Thanksgiving to Black Friday. But, well, that's more of a prequel now. Well, you do uh, a follow-up. Because this happens on Thanksgiving, so technically the the sequel could pick up the next day. Oh, well, I suppose that's true, technically. Although, although it later. seems like there's a bit of a time jump at the end. Sure. I guess the other way would be a year later, because the, the premise of this movie is one year after a prior Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um the Carver could uh, announce that they're back on Thanksgiving. Sure. And maybe with the plan of Black Friday. Maybe it's more of a restrained uh, single location type thing. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. But, you know, there's potential. Totally. Yeah. I would be I would be down. Um, now let's uh, let's talk about sequels you're less, less enthusiastic about. Well, mixed, but... Hitting, hitting you at the worst time to want to see a movie like this. Yeah, unfortunately. And it's not the movie's fault. It's it's, no, it's a victim of timing as much as anything. Well, like I had said, like if you the people who really hate this movie, with few exceptions, because some people are just critics who didn't like it. And like, that's fine. They're people who hate every Marvel movie. Yeah. So we just we know that we go in with you kind of have to ignore the people who say Marvel's done it again and then explode all over the wall. Right. Yeah. And then you have to kind of ignore the people like this is utterly atrocious because they, they said that about Endgame. They said that about, you know, Civil War. They, they, they just it's not their thing. And that's that's fine. But in terms of the, the 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 more vitriol that was had nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. It's also 
as I spoke a little bit about last week, and we'll talk about now with, with now that you've seen it, it's just the 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 worst timing of this movie for the mood you have about Marvel, right? Yeah. If it had been like I said, if this was a phase one movie, you'd be mostly delighted by it. Like the things it's doing. Because you were still were okay with the things it was doing. And even a couple years ago, it's still like, all right, lesser, lesser Marvel, but like I'm interested to see what they do next. This is uh caught between a rock and a hard place while still having, I think, some very fun things in it. Sure. So in case it's not super duper clear, uh, we're talking about the Marvels, which yes, it says which I forgot about two weeks ago to talk about and then doubled back last week. And it's telling that a that happened and B, I went from all of this stuff is opening night appointment viewing to I'll wait two weeks and watch it as part of a double bill. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And, you know, even something like Loki season two, which I thought was, you know, a bit more significant in terms of quality, still has that sort of residual feeling of it's still part of this whole interconnected universe and building towards this bigger mess that I'm growing less and less interested in. Um, this is a movie that is on its own terms. It's fun. It's light. It's moves at a clip sometimes to a fault um the action and the way they use the body swap gimmick are mostly creatively staged um the cast is all game imam Vellani and the miss marvel cast are the obvious highlights yes um especially when i hadn't seen the show i was just very taken with that as a new thing oh yeah they're they're much better in the show because they get room to breathe but they're still steal the show here um and you know there's some interesting comedy bits i like the idea of the musical planet but they also only get like five minutes with it before we're on to the next thing and i legitimately don't know what happens to the guy from squid game like i don't know whether he died or not we literally don't find out there's a lot of stuff that i feel like there's a longer cut which i i mean well we'll talk about the behind the scenes in a minute yeah so that's actually kind of my biggest critique is that it feels like a longer movie that's been butchered to within an inch of its life. It feels so rushed. It's It's got that vibe of like, it's like the third film in a trilogy and we somehow missed the film in between. Because we've spent, because yeah. in, in Marvel time, relatively speaking, we really haven't checked in on Carol Danvers since her own movie. Like she's in Endgame barely and then she's made a cameo and a few other things. But like, yeah, she showed up to help save the day and then bounced to go deal with shit. But then that's the problem is that there's like this 30 year gap in her history that we just know so little about. And this film doesn't do really much in filling in those gaps either so no the, the first one was okay in that and like oh she's out you know she's well, super she's, cop out there well and she's got amnesia and it's her origin story like you can forgive a lot you know she, she comes across as spunky she's got a little bit of you know rebelliousness to her that's like that's enough to get you started but it's yeah. not enough when that's still all we've got at the end of the sequel like she's still yeah, like i like the character i don't yeah I don't, and i don't think it's brie larson's fault i think she's doing the best she can with the material but the character still feels like an enigma to me like even compared to Kamala, who in your case, this is your first time really meeting her. I feel like you know so much more about her and her deal and her personality and her beliefs and things like that. What does Carol believe in? What does she care about? She wants to correct some mistakes she made and she's, she loves her family, but she feels like the movie makes it's, it's, it's so vague. And that's the other thing. The whole thing is like, maybe it's just the result of there being too many of these. This is the 30 something 
MCU film, not to mention all the DC and Sony Marvel and all this other stuff that whether it's connected Aren't you excited for Madam Web, I couldn't be less excited for anything that'll ever come out. That's not true. I'm more excited for Madam Web than I am for Ghostbusters. We're not going to talk about either one. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it all it feels like mush at this point. Even the stuff that's not connected has kind of tarnished the brand because now it all feels like the same shit. Like the second that they started talking about quantum bands, my eyes just glazed over. Like you cannot get me to care about this shit anymore. And that is the ultimate problem is that at the end of the day, it's not a bad movie. It's a competent movie. You know, I think between this and Secret Invasion, we should really be talking more about the fact that Nick Fury feels like wildly incompetent now. Um, Yeah, they don't know what to do with him anymore, I think. No, and like, just retire him if that's the case, because this is getting embarrassing. Or let him be more of like what he was before, like the badass like head of stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's like like, the head of things, but he doesn't seem like he's doing anything especially effective. You know what he, you know what he feels like? He feels like these, if you think about the business world, right? The the people who are like the head of the company, the, the the Steve Jobs, whatever, right? And then they move to like that other job they have there where they're like, oh, they're still the head of the company. Their responsibilities are just, you're the head of the company. You don't have a responsibility anymore. It feels like he's like the figurehead of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. Yeah, well, or Saber or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, sword, Saber, fucking who can, Marvel. Yeah, but like, like, like it's, all, it's all mush and, you know... Another weak villain, you know, apologies to Mrs. Hiddleston, but um, it's it's not there's nothing here. Well, it's it's that same old old uh, playbook of here's a villain who has a, a motivation that like taken in a bubble. You're like, I get it vaguely. But also yeah. like, yeah, like but they don't, there's not enough time with her. No, like this is where I think the movie, the three things and we'll see if I actually mean three. But I, there's a couple of things that I think the movie would have been served better by with its longer cut. Which I imagine some of that is the director moving on, right, to yeah. another project at the time and not being in the room. And it being like, well, what's the most important things we have to get to? And I get what they were doing, but they missed the the nuance that's going on, which is we need more at the beginning to know why she's been up to and why she made a mistake that's kicking this whole movie off. Right. That's that's the biggest one. Like there's like, what movie did I miss? Yeah. That's well, not because here. It's so funny that a lot of the pre-release uh about it was like, oh, you know, if you haven't seen Captain Marvel in these three shows, you're not gonna know what's going on. Turns out no, most of that stuff is actually just covered in like flashback or like quick exposition. Yeah, the only thing like, you're missing is the what, actual plot. What you're missing is the stuff that isn't in any of the movies because it's been too big of a time jump with this character and we still don't really know much about her. Yeah, like it, even if that opening sequence would have been this this thing she was up to, right? I don't know why we're being vague, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the inciting incident of the film itself. So that's one. The, the inciting issue. incident that takes place off screen. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And and at a, at a time we're not a hundred percent sure about was this in in the old uh, old days of I her adventures? It was shortly after the last thing she did. Marvel, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, then. The stuff that I we enjoy, some of it we get cut off on. Like it's like you were saying, the singing planet. Like that could have been that should have been like a full act. Yeah. The, as opposed to well, and, a taste, a fight, and a leave. Well, it feels like the um the junk planet in uh, Ragnarok, where we just spend a whole bunch of time there and it's kinda, you know, we we get a feel for it, we get a feel for their society, and you know, it it like has a real character of its own and we like want to go back to it and you know, spin off some what ifs and whatever. Yes. You don't get enough time to get attached to anyone here. Again, there's the um the prince character and you know, best gag in the movie, he's bilingual 
whole like you know ver- that's the best very joke. funny very clever but then there's nothing else to him he's like you know they're just a bunch of disposable extras you know and then yeah. we cut away from them and never find out what happens <laughs> yeah and then the the third element is the villain itself of just like especially towards the end we're like oh we should get back to the villain and it's also and like very vague stakes of- like at the end, she's just trying yeah, to steal the, the sun. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, which not good, not good, not good for us, admittedly. But um, also the it's another one where I don't I don't care. It's not a huge deal, but the, they don't stop her. She fucks herself up by accident. Like she yeah. wins until she loses. Well, and like but, she wins, but like does she succeed at what she's trying to do? I don't oh. No, she blows herself up for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um and then like you know, I, I like I really like the the cat sequence. I got the the what's it called? What are the, they? Um, the mem- Flarkins? Or yeah, whatever? yeah. No, that's good. I I don't mind that. It, that's you know, that's definitely. I don't like I memory, but it's cl- Costa. Yeah, it's clever. That's a good gag. But that's oh, I don't care about that song either. But it's it's very well utilized, especially yeah. if you don't like it, because now you can think of it's just a bunch of alien cats eating people during that song. You're like, I could I could okay be okay with that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it just, I don't know, I, it, the stuff that they cut out or didn't get to film or whatever the case may be, usually it's not a, a huge deal. It's like I wanted more or whatnot. Now, this is not the snowman, right, where there's a missing movie. Yeah. But there's a much better movie that I don't know what happened to. Well, and, and one like wonders if it even fine. got filmed. Like, it, it may just exactly. straight up be like insufficient resources or they didn't prioritize this one or you know whatever um i feel like a that certain, the opening there's a certain is not there a, uh there's a certain character who appears towards the end that i won't is spoil we about the credit sequence yes who okay boy howdy the quality of the cgi is just really atrocious right now well, that was I, – I would bet you that was a – they didn't have a sequence planned, right? We're going to have one. We'll figure it out. And late in the game, that's what they settled on, and that was the leftover money for that CGI. Maybe, but this is like the eighth time they've done that. Like, you can't well, – I think it's a bad habit they keep doing is they keep I mean, going, that's the last thing we'll figure out. And sometimes it works. Not, not necessarily the CGI aspect, but the thing they're getting at, right? You're like, ooh, I'm in, right? Well, no, nothing one, about this one am I in. This one, well, if anything, one, I'm further out than I was before. I'm indifferent because, like, the, the reveal is, well, we knew we were going to get there eventually, right? So, yeah, okay, we've inched this further. This is how we're doing it. It's so boring. And it's so slow for what you're you're getting at. And it's just not – I don't know. I, I'm – I used to say like, well, I trust them to get there. And like, I don't not trust them, but I'm I'm very, very curious about how they intend to do this. Because I know the whole thing has been like, Feige is very protective of, of the X-Men, right? And the Fantastic Four and all the things he inherited, right? All the new incoming like um, Fox properties, for lack of a better term, right? Sure. That those were all going to be incorporated at, at the right time, at the right moment, right? And most of it has been later than you expect, and I think they have a method, they have a plan, but I don't know. When 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 people are starting to veer on the quality, I don't know that you can afford to go as as slow as they're going. Well, it's, and be like, Trust they're us, trying we'll get to do there. too much, and yeah, not not enough of it is paying off. Like, I know people are like, oh, well, it took years for Thanos or whatever, but like, 
Think about like the dozen or so characters they've teased in post-credit scenes alone that we haven't heard so much as a hint of. There's too many dangling threads. And if it all just lumps into this general multiverse mush with a very indistinct final threat now that the whole Kang situation is up in the air, I just like it's it's going to take a lot for me to get reinvested because right now this is on a movie by movie basis on whether I'm even going to see most of this shit. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm not excited for the new Captain America starring mostly Hulk characters. I'm not excited <laughs> for whatever the fuck Thunderbolts is going to be. I don't trust them to get Fantastic Four and Blade right anymore. Deadpool 3 is just going to be a series of cameos from the Fox X-Men universe that, like, is now, like, their bread and butter for cameos, despite the fact that that universe fizzled out right when they were on a high. Like, I, I just... It's, it seems like such a sh- there's no clear path forward and the few paths we are seeing are so uninspiring that I I think they're playing a longer game than they may be able to actually pull off. And that's saying something considering that they've been sort of the cultural juggernaut for the better part of a decade. But I think, yeah. you know, we've we've talked about that bubble for years, but. If you look at the box office this year, it's kind of hard to argue that this may be the year where it popped. There, so if you want to look at a potential silver lining, and I don't know that you even do, but if only for the devil's advocate element of it, right? Sure. So the thought process was always we were going to reach a point where people were just sort of over Marvel, right? And they were going to they were going to crest, fall down, eventually either go away or something new would be the thing, right? And None of that was talked about in terms of quality, right? It was like, oh, just one day. It's more about Avengers like audience 4. taste. Exactly. Like the next the next big event thing would underperform, right? And they would still be Avengers quality or whatever. But I think interestingly, we might be at a point where because they're having kind of their internal uh, crisis of, of faith, that the it's not that people are over it per se, but when the product is hit or miss, it's easier to not make it a thing. So if anything, if there's a potential positive here, it's that they may have to recalibrate quicker than they thought, right? And maybe they'll be able to, to pull out of the tailspin as opposed to the natural one that would just be like, well, people don't want it anymore. You know, every every movie about old Hollywood, right, with the talkies coming in. Well, this is just what it is and you're done, right? Babylon, all these movies who did it, right? Whereas here, this is more correctable. It's harder, but it's more correctable because they can figure out and go back to what was more popular or more well-regarded or whatever metric you want to use. It was just – I think the, the they currently maybe miscalculated how far you would go just following whatever they were up to. Because we were all in on on Thanos and then the Infinity Stones, the multiverse has been very hit or miss. And it's been very inconsistent. And I think the other thing that kind of gets lost in the conversation is that it's not just about the MCU, because your average moviegoer doesn't really distinguish between, you know, who put out Shazam 2 and who put out Morbius. They, It's all this, it's all superhero stuff. And if the last few things they've seen, regardless of who made them, have all been crap, that is going to sour them on, you know, wanting to experiment with something else. Totally. Especially a, when they've kind of been trained to just wait two months to watch it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And in a, in a roundabout way, 
you know, so yeah, DC having its struggles doesn't help Marvel, right? Uh, but also when the successes are very um, different, right? So No Way Home, right? Big success, probably the only full-on successful multiverse element of Marvel, right? Sure. They That's also so different and such a one-off, right? That's not a repeatable formula necessarily. Oh, it's and not going to stop them from trying. <laughs> oh, exactly. But what made that work was that it was sort of a one-off, right? And then on the flip side... With DC, what's the big DC success? Batman, which looks nothing like the current crop of superhero movies. Or in, so, in a, another way, I mean, we don't like it as much, but it's hard to argue with both the financial and Oscar success of Joker. Yeah, but again, similar, <clears throat> the, the but it, quote unquote but, film but not, aesthetic Not of something that can be easily replicated, right? Exactly. And they're going to keep trying. There's sequels to both in the works and they could be good, but like that's not going to be the, the be all end the all fix. of- yeah. Exactly. So they have to think about what the what the fix might be. And I think you'll see if there is going to be one and what gets greenlit next. Mm -hmm. Right. So James Gunn, we still give given somewhat the benefit of the doubt to there's sort of a real mishmash going on about what's going on at WB. Sure. But a lot of that will be how Superman turns out. Right. And Mm -hmm. how some of his things he has planned turns out. And if they're good, then we're fine. If they're kind of the same thing warmed over. Oh, he's just a figurehead, right? He was just a, a name to get some publicity. Marvel has to figure out what their next saga, for lack of a better word, is, right? And whether it's sort of abandoning the the Kang ending, whether it's moving into the younger team, whatever whatever they, they think is the next thing, they have to figure out if that's going to be what works or not. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we were we were everyone was sort of ready to go to the next thing after the Infinity Stones and the Infinity Saga. But that also was for some people the natural endpoint of like, okay, Marvel's they didn't they, not that it's done, but like I got what I wanted, right? If you're a yeah. very casual person, it was like I want to see this giant team up movie I've never seen, and it almost entirely satisfied people. But then their um, and then we can move on from this if you want. But their their decision to get small for a little bit was it kind of refreshing for some people, but also I think for the casual viewer made it like, oh, so we this isn't as important, and then. How do you get them back? You can't just go, well, there's a lot. There's a multiverse because most people go, the fuck? Well, and, uh, and then it's you're, just not been yeah. catching with people in the same way. And I think even beyond all of this, like, yes, they can potentially course correct. But I think the bigger societal thing of whether there's ever going to be as much of an appetite for this kind of thing again, because it's it's been gone without saying that this stuff will do well. But like. This year alone, we've had three different superhero movies break records for worst opening and worst second weekend drop off. And not all, you know, we got Quantumania, we got Flash, now we got the Marvels. Like, it's across the spectrum and it's big stuff and small stuff alike, you know, within the relative realm of this. So it's one of those things where, like, even if they course correct to the point where every single movie is gold, even that may still be too little too late at this point. And they could very well just be like, I'm, I'm not saying that superhero movies are going to go away completely, but I think, you know, this year has shown that audiences are ready for something, anything else. I mean, what are the top three movies? Barbie, Mario and Oppenheimer. You can't really, you know, people are going to try and chase the video game trend, but that's. I don't know that that's different enough from the comic book trend to necessarily catch on. I mean, I think there's enough popular characters that that'll sustain for a certain thing. But unless there's like a number of great ones, that's, you know, still ultimately a dead end. I I think it's just kind of a time for reflection. And I think assuming that that 
either Marvel or DC will be able to get back on top is the bigger question is, will superhero movies ever quite recapture that same audience? Because right now, I don't know that there's anything on the horizon that I think could. Yeah, I I mean, maybe Deadpool 3. But again, that's kind of and and even if it is connected, that's also kind of a one off because there's not really anything else quite like it. So it can't be replicated. yeah, and and any of the other things, right? So the um, the video game trend, for example, <clears throat> so dependent on the the product, yeah, the title. You know, we we the world and and you and I know this as well as anyone <clears throat> is littered with video game adaptations that were announced, got an actor, sometimes a director, and then go no further. Yeah. Um, because lest I remind you, how was that Splinter Cell movie that Tom Hardy was making? Oh, so good. <laughs> he nu- he yeah. crushed it. <laughs> Uh, just so many of them go nowhere. Yeah. And maybe they'll have an easier time now. Frankly, it would be good if they did because some of them are interesting ideas. But, you know, I don't think anyone is going to learn the lesson from Five Nights at Freddy's that put more care into the product. Right. So I think at the end of the day, what we're getting at is um, Feige needs to hire us to be James Gunn for D- for, for Marvel. Well, so that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. Um when it comes to the James Gunn thing, it's all well and good for him to say he's got a 10 year plan and all these different movies and shows. But if I get there, but if the first two or three kind of fall flat, he's not going to get to do the other ones. Like Warner brothers has such a quick turnaround time when it comes to these things. And I mean, the biggest problem with the DCEU was that it underwent like four to five different leaderships over the course of it. And so it's just this jumbled vision that never really cohered because there was never anyone steering the ship. Now there is, but there's no guarantee that they're going to keep him in position. If Superman underperforms that they're going to be like, well, do we have to make the authority? And it wasn't even a hard, like, I feel like the path was very clear at the start. But the problem is every time someone new comes in, they have to do something different. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why are you – why do you have a job? I was just actually talking about this with someone. Kind of – they were re-litigating the, um, the DC stuff. Like, what an error to dive right into BVS and, and Justice League, right? Well, yeah. Especially because for people of a certain age, Justice League was – Avengers are bigger, right? The yeah. idea of all those heroes together. And one, for the movie to be bad, but also two, the story they were telling, right? Let's say we were in charge, right? You're, we, we've been put in charge of, of Warner Brothers with DC at that time, right? I don't know if it was... Uh, I forget who was in charge at the time. It was Kevin uh, Suchihara or whoever it was during the early days of Snyder, right? right? Your job is to essentially facilitate that vision, but you have to be able to step in and say, well, why are we doing it this way, right? So Man of Steel hits well enough, right? We're all, we're happy. Like you, like essentially. Yeah. Then the idea to do BVS, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you go, all right, so we know the plot, right? The path forward is Batman and Superman, Justice League team up. We've got Wonder Woman and The Flash and, and Aquaman and, and Cyborg. They're all going to get their movies, right? We have these extra Justice League movies that are essentially doing um, the fucking uh, DC fighting game storyline, but whatever, right? That's that's what we're pursuing. How they didn't think to go, and we want to do a Batman movie at some point. How they didn't think to go, well, you do a Batman movie now, and you do a Superman sequel now, and you start to bring them together, especially when you look across the street and go, that's exactly how they did it, and everyone loves it. Like, well, imagine but I a think world where we did it. get they, that. There was too much of this sense of we need to do something different 
And I think Just it ultimately, quicker and worse. Uh, it, it ultimately like, shot them in the foot. Well, and that's the tonal thing too, that like, there's, you know, a whole, you know, you're well, either no on well you're also. either on board with their grim and gritty version of things or you're not but like you said it's just the injustice universe so like when yeah. your default batman and superman are mass murderers it's really hard to build from there so yeah. like imagine and i, I don't even imagine think, i don't even think going straight to bvs is necessary like on paper it's not the worst idea because we've seen enough no. batman movies and not as many superman movies so you do it as a man of steel sequel that introduces batman you can maybe get wonder woman in there at the end but they overreach they have to you know yeah. we've also got to do we've got to do the death of superman we've got to do doomsday we've got to have cameos of flash and cyborg and everybody else it's like you, you can't leave well enough alone. So then that yeah. movie, imagine which, then that movie is carrying the weight of what five movies should be doing. Exactly. Even if you couldn't do all five, right. But imagine if the end of man of steel, right. Or man of steel two, right. But let's say for example, man of steel, the post credit scene, right. Is the fight, but you see it from, you know, a distance, right. And just as the camera pulls back a little bit, it's the cow. Right, it's the back of the of Batman's head. Mm. You don't have to have your Batman yet, but just know Batman is watching us, going, "The fuck!" Right, that does some of the work already that they that they could have done, like that opening sequence of of BVS. Right, that could have been hypothetically the opening scene of of uh, of the Batman. So that's just working in there, or the opening, or the post credit sequence of a suit, a Man of Steel two. Right, you could thread it in, and then by that time you have a little bit more to go on. But they were in a hurry and they they suffered for it. And that's kind of where we're at with in in the inverse Marvel. They're not in a hurry to figure out what they're doing and it's starting to hurt them. Exactly. It's not it's not great. Um, Those were the only things you've seen, right? Uh, New things. Yeah, I believe we're caught up. Okay, cool. Um, Any update on 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 the January stuff or is uh, Kelly just pretending it doesn't exist still? Uh, no update. We're waiting for more submissions to approve or reject. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll find some time to talk about that a little bit more. Um, what did I see? I know there's one. Let me make sure there's not another thing. We talked about the Iron Claw. Talked about Thanksgiving. We talked about Napoleon, right? Yep. We didn't talk about Wish. Oh, no. That's right. We We didn't. It's fine. (laughs) It's not. Um... Yeah, that's it, uh, kind of what I've been hearing. It's not great. It's not amazing. It just is. But for a hundredth anniversary, like, kind of underwhelming. Yes. So on its own, perfectly adorable. It's fine. It's really for little kids, I think, as much as anything. Not a problem either. Disney. Um, but tied into the hundredth anniversary, thematically, some of the stuff in there does fit. But in terms of quality, you really would have wanted like a, a full-on banger. Right. right. Like if Frozen was their 100th anniversary movie, you'd be like, well, of course, like fucking hit it out of the park. Um, there's a couple of good songs. They're not super memorable. Um, Chris Pine's really having a good time as the villain. Not a ton to the story. And and the whole idea of the wish thing is a little amorphous. But again, very um, digestible for a younger vill- uh, viewer. Um, some things I liked, you know, some of the homages to other stuff is cute. I like the uh, the third act kind of like got to actually deal with the villain situation. There's that sort of green magic that you've seen from from old, old Disney movies, mm-hmm. like bad magic being green. I like some of that. The uh, 
the backgrounds being um, very reminiscent have hand-drawn and in some cases sort of hand-drawn, um, merging with the 3D uh, characters. I don't want to say it's distracting at the beginning, but it takes a quick second, and then it's very cool. I like that. Um, and just kind of like there. I don't know. The, the big disappointment for me is Alan Tudyk as the talking animal. Like, that seems like a real slam dunk for easy humor, and there's just nothing funny about it. Yeah, well, from the trailers alone, I kind of want to pump that goat into the sun, so... Yeah, the entire joke is the goat talks. But, like, why not maybe have the goat say some things that are funny? Whereas, so there's other animals that end up talking throughout the the movie, you know, as the the making a wish and the powers and stuff are rearing their head. And, like, I think it's in the trailer with the bear. It was like, don't worry about me. You got to worry about the the rabbits and shit. That's way funnier than the goat. And it's a one-off. There's like a, a mushroom that comes alive and just like, hello. Like there's little things that are funnier. It's not as consistent as you would like. It's totally fine. And I suspect we'll do well. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I don't want to say disappointed, but I don't know that I was satisfied beyond like, all right, this was fine. And I'd seen some of it at a, at a, at a Disney event um, in LA a month or two ago. And like, it's mostly what I saw. It just... There wasn't that extra thing there. So I wouldn't say don't watch it, but, you know, I, I can't tell you that you're going to be delighted. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my background movie at the moment, you know, the just whatever was on TV. I, I did, was doing something before we started, so I didn't change the channel. It's Wedding Crashers. Okay. And I have a, uh, a real baby face Bradley Cooper coming on, which reminds me I did see Maestro for a second time. So see, there's a reason I brought it up. There you go. Um, Maestro remains very good. I am... Uh, very interested to see how it plays to uh, audiences who don't know the story at all. Because if you don't know anything about Leonard Bernstein, you're like, why are they making a movie about a guy who conducted music? You know? It has the, in broad strokes, the sound of like, oh, this what, what is the, pl- the plot here? Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, it's very, very good. So I, I think people, I think the star power will do a lot and Netflix will do a lot to get people to watch. But, you know, I think that might be their big one this year. Uh, yeah, probably in terms of like, because a lot of their other stuff seems to be stuff that's more, you know, this is targeting this specific nomination or this specific category or what have you. That seems to be their biggest, like, broad appeal, so to speak. Because, um, you know, and I don't know when you'll get to them, but like, Rustin and Nyad are already on the platform. Which, like, I didn't realize until I casually went on there, like, to watch Scott Pilgrim. So I've got to catch up with... Well, I'll catch up with Rustin. I'm probably not going to watch Nyad, to be honest. I would definitely watch Rustin. Nyad is is pleasant enough. It, I think if you're if you need a a palate cleanser for some reason and you want to do the work of watching like an Oscar movie, you can do a lot worse. Um, it's fine. I think uh, you know Rustin. I think is a little bit more what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, also, still, I know you're you got a little bit of the like uh, biopics. Please do something interesting. But Coleman Domingo, I think, alone will get you there. Well, that's the ma- well that night. It's a story I'm not as familiar with, and like sure. great cast around him. So yeah, there's there's plenty a- attracting me to that one. Nyad does not have any of those qualities. No, I would be interested to see if I don't know what day it would be if you had a day where you're like, we'll just hit both because they are kind of the like. Some people thought they were going to be the big Netflix movie, but they clearly are not anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 ran the flag up at, at Telluride, and I liked um, Rustin a lot, and I liked Nyad just fine. And 
that was, you know, the reaction to both were polite, but on the muted side. And then Rustin kind of a little bit all over the place with reviews. Only a few people don't seem to like it, but hasn't gotten the full on raves, you would hope, to be a bigger than just like hoping for best actor contender. Right. And then Nyad, mostly polite. Some people don't like it. The occasional person loves it, but that seems like the outlier. And in a movie like that, that's meant to be a crowd pleaser, if you don't have that, you know, I'm sure they're hoping actress and supporting actress, but I'm, I mean, which is funny because I was at a Netflix thing for Maestro over the weekend and I, we didn't bring this up, but it really does feel like the eggs are all going in the Maestro basket, mm-hmm. which leads me to hope that like, you know, if you're already spending some below the line money, I, I would, I would want them to push that killer, the killer for a couple nominations. I know you're indifferent to the movie. You hate it. It's your least favorite movie ever. Well, um, but you know, you'd be on board with the tech stuff. Sure. I Joey likes to make fun. I don't hate it. I just don't like it nearly as much as most of Fincher's other films. Which we're going to address in a moment when we go over your Fincher rankings. But before we do that, I will uh, talk about the one thing. Actually, no, let's do that now. The, the, the big thing we'll save for towards the end with questions. Um, let's do your Fincher rankings if you have them handy. I do indeed. All right. And I'll pull up mine for comparison's sake. Um, which are already on the site and people have, I'm sure, saw them or not. And um, I also did Eli Roth and uh, Alexander Payne, but um, Miles is somewhat limited on those. So while you pull that up, I'm curious how many of each you've seen. I think we talked about Payne. You're missing two big ones, right? Uh, Yeah, I'm missing Nebraska and um, Downsizing and the uh, the, the one he did. Yeah, that one. Citizen Ruth. Yeah, well. Here, I'll give you my my ranking just for it's not going to make you want to watch <laughs> the ones you haven't seen. Great. Um, eight downsizing. Seven Citizen Ruth. The downsizing is the only bad one. Um, six The Descendants. Five Sideways. Four Nebraska. Three The Holdovers. Two About Schmidt. One Election. Makes sense. Oh, About Schmidt. Yeah. I haven't seen either. Oh, well, so yeah, I'm very you got you you, I think we put About Schmidt on your uh, on your January list. Oh, well, then there you go. I think we did. If not, add it. Do you have the list somewhere? Uh, I have whatever you messaged me, but we messaged so you a lot. So you plan on going so back have to two months? Go find it. <laughs> yeah, that might be a thing. Um, yeah, if not, add about Schmidt. I mean, you can add all. You can add downsizing too, but that might be a, a tough one. I think we should focus on the good stuff so far. Yeah. Um, and Eli Roth, I'm guessing you've only seen. I've seen Cabin Fever, The Two Hostels, and now Thanksgiving. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, eight, I have Death Wish, the Bruce Willis remake. I have seven, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Six, I have Cabin Fever. Five, I have The Green Inferno, which I would I would say maybe you look for as like a, a, a 30, 31 Days of Horror one day. Sure. Uh, you know, it's gnarly and, and it is what you think it is. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't push it for January. I have Hostile Part Two at four. I have Knock Knock at three. I think you might like that one though. I, I've the, been the considering that one, thing. but would you call it horror? Uh, home invasion thriller. Like I, I, it's light. It's a light horror. In the way that like The Strangers is horror, right? Well, I would say so, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if you take out some of the menace of that, if it's more like, um, well, here, how would you consider Funny Games horror? Uh, horror adjacent. I think uh, Knock Knock is horror adjacent. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Hostile to Thanksgiving 1. It's easily his best movie. 
Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, by the way, I found the list uh, about Schmidt was not on there, so I'm adding it now. There you go. Cool. All right. Uh, let's let's do Fincher. I'll I'll uh, I'll go with my numbers as you. You've seen all twelve, right? Correct. Okay. So, kick it off with number twelve. Yeah, and there's very obvious tiers here, but number twelve, I'm sure, is not an uncommon choice. I have Alien Three. Same. Uh, I mean, not a bad movie, but you know, I think it's a bad movie. Um, I, I, I see think, elements in it, but I. <laughs> It, I, I've seen so much like retroactive defense for it over the years, and I've never ever understood it because no, I'm I, not. I think there. it's like embarrassingly bad, and not even embarrassingly. Mostly like studio decisions and things that are outside. Like I don't blame him for it being bad, but it has none of the personality that we would see oh, in he, his later films. He definitely has your opinion. Yeah, no, on he this hates movie. it. So you know, I'm in good company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number eleven, I have the game. Same. I, this one just never worked for me. I, I think it's the plot is stupid. I don't think either Douglas or Penn are really at their best. I, I think the whole scenario is so contrived and it's just it, it's one of those ones where every now and then I remember that it's a Fincher film and I'm like, really? That one. But it's an early one. So I, I you know, I just chalk it up to him, you know, getting the cobwebs out or what have you. Yeah, I mean, it's an exercise. Yeah. Which is also which, my number well, 10. Which, Well, actually, I'd say this whole bottom row is mostly that, but go ahead. To one degree, another. Well, what's your 10? We'll see if we have the same one. Uh, we might do. I have Panic Room. Yep, exactly. Also an exercise. Much better. A much better game, exercise. But also an exercise. That one, you get a lot more of the Fincher filmmaking. You get the crazy, like, you know, first person CGI shots. And, you know, the, the staging of it is a lot more tense. You know, I don't love the prominent Jared Leto role, but outside of that, it's 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 well acted and well put together. It's it's just nothing amazing. Yeah, it's it's the best version of that story you're going to get. But also yeah. there's a limit to what you're going to get. Exactly. Um, number nine, I have the killer. I don't have that at number nine, but we'll get there. Um, we talked about it last week. I think there's a lot of good things in it. I think, you know, there's a handful of sequences that are very well put together, some really clever gags and, you know, general stuff. There's good filmmaking, good acting, good action. Like there's a lot of good things to it, but there's also, I don't know. It, it's, it's just for somebody when you see, you know, you get to the top of this list and you see the cream of the crop, you just know he's capable of so much more. And to see him work with a lot of the same tools he used to make those so much better films, but for it to kind of hit its peak so early and not really rise above it. I don't know. I just, it couldn't help but underwhelm me. And also I think the ending is a massive wash. I know. I know. I, I like it more than you, but I get it. Um, what's your what's your next one? Because I think we might have the same one there, if I had to guess. I suspect. I, I feel like I'm not super controversial in the back half of my list. Maybe, yeah. maybe give or take the killer. Um, number eight, I have uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Interesting. I have that at seven. So I'm guessing the, my number nine is coming up. But talk about Button. Uh, yeah, I like it. I think that it's different in a good way. That and my number seven are both kind of outliers in his filmography in an interesting way. But I think this one has a lot of it's it's like the killer. I think it's less than the sum of its parts. But this one, partially because it's so long and so much bigger in scope, it just has more room to have more interesting and memorable moments. Um, And yeah, I think the effects still hold up quite well. And it's 
it, it doesn't fully come together, but it's, it, I find it compelling. And every now and then I go back to it and I'm like, yeah, this is, it, it's a, I, I would probably enjoy it as one of your background watches. Yeah. I think uh, it's more quotable than you think. Yeah. Some of the, it, and it's, you know, it's the most overtly emotional of his films. Well, for sure. Um, the most hard on sleeve for sure. Yeah, I also think which is maybe um, not his strongest suit. No, and, and you know, it, you often see it like when Nolan, for example, tries to do a bigger, more emotional story, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I like it. I like Interstellar, but I also have not gone back to it for that same reason. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, that's that's going to be the big mystery one day. Well, I think Oppenheimer. He he. Uh, but Oppenheimer is a he came very as close successful to that version of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was as close as he's gotten since then. I also think in Benjamin Button, there's the sequence where he's sort of recounting like all the different things that could have maybe gone differently to prevent her accident. And I think that little yeah. sequence is it's not talked about very often, but it's like among the best standalone scenes in Fincher's filmography. Yeah, there were very high highs in that movie. Yes, that's my number seven. Uh, my number seven is Mank. There you go. That's my number nine. I was waiting for that. Was going to come up again. No complaints. Like it's technically like perfect. Um, it's just very hard to connect with that movie, which is funny because it's the movie I think of all twelve on this list that David connects with the most. Yeah, which is super interesting. Even though you know it's his dad's script and it's you know it's personal in a different way. Um, he made it for himself and he made it because he could he had built up that cachet and Netflix wanted a David Fincher movie. Like I get why it exists and I don't begrudge anyone making it exist and I think it's very good. Yeah. It's just it's maybe give or take Alien 3 the least likely one to go back to. That's fair. I did actually go back to it shortly before watching The Killer yeah. just cuz I hadn't since it came out and, and I, it was there. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of felt the exact same way. It's it's you know, it's very well made on a technical standpoint, very impressive, recreates the era and there's some really clever writing in it. I think the dialogue in particular really captures that that sort of zip that you not maybe not necessarily was accurate to the era, but what you think of when you think of Hollywood yeah. in that era. Um, you know, great work from Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, Arliss Howard, etc. Like some really good stuff in it. But yeah, it's it's part of this sort of tier of less than the sum of their parts where it just it's the individual pieces are good, but they don't quite cohere into a satisfying whole. And you, you, you're you're like, I don't have any complaints, but it didn't quite scratch the itch. I was hoping it would. Yeah. Um, that one also had the issue of being the like presumed early front runner. Totally. Well, and that does no movie any favors ever. It also like was in a weird pandemic year. So if anything, it probably did better than it might have in a regular year. Well, it got put positioned as like a big prestige 10 nomination movie. And it it's not a, it, it fits better as a little weirder and um coming up the back end type of nomination film. Sure. Like if it if it had been a last minute release, you know, like, oh, we got another one and here's what it is. You know, I think it would have fared better because it would have had the surprise as opposed to the expectations and the expectations were this is Fincher's Oscar movie. Give him the Oscar. But also a film with that pedigree and that subject matter was never going to get the chance to do that. No, even though, you know, no one would have complained if he had won. But totally. That the the leaves were blowing in a very specific way at that time yeah. for that um, with his competition. Um, what are you up to? Six, six. Yeah. So at number six, I have Gone Girl. Mm, I have Gone Girl at five. Um, I like this one a lot, but I've only gone back to it once. I, I 
it's one of those ones where, again, I, I like a bit better. I do than, want to go back to it. I, I like it better than the past few. I think it does come together pretty much entirely and hits its beats and is very effective. It's just kind of one of those things where it comes down to personal preference and I just yeah. connect more with the five films that we're about to get into than I do with this one in particular. But that's no fault of the film itself. That's my number six for me, almost exactly word for word. Um, Gone Girl, I think part of it is how much I enjoy uh, well-utilized Ben Affleck. Oh, he's perfectly and, cast. Yeah, I, I still like, one of the one of my favorite moments of like subtle acting uh, that I've ever seen from him is the bit where um, she comes back and she's covered in blood, and I think they're at the police station, and she's like, you know, she's giving her statement, and she's being all weird and cryptic and creepy, and she like looks over at him in the other room, and he's just like, I don't know. I'm not buying it. And it's like, ah, no, something's off here. And then, you know, she like looks at him and she's covered in blood and she gives him the creepy little wave and he just does the super casual. Oh, yeah. hey. (laughs) I don't know. Just something about it is just so perfect. I love. Well, some of it is I love that he plays him as, you know, because we know he didn't do it. Right. The movie doesn't pretend that he did it. Mm -hmm. Very early on, it tells it lays those cards out. Yeah. So you're watching as he makes all these blunders. Right. Because, you know, he's innocent. And he knows he's innocent. And he's at the beginning very casual about it, right? He's uh, Emily Ratajkowski's coming over and he's banging her, like making all these stupid errors. But then there's the little things like I love the look on his face when um, he does it. He does the event with her parents mm-hmm. and they're taking the photo. And someone oh, says, yeah. smile, And he smiles and he immediately clocks like, oh, I fucked up. I shouldn't have smiled. Um, that's so good. And then I, I I don't know I I'm a huge fan of that that last section of the movie where she comes back yeah because again she wasn't planning on coming back if you look, remember the uh, the calendar actually had kill myself yeah like she thought about just like offing herself and letting him go to jail or get or get the death penalty but her idea is one she didn't have an idea but when she sees him on that show when he starts playing her game she falls back in love with him for being conniving yeah. <laughs> And like she actually is, you know, it's wild that her idea is, you know how I'll show I love him, I'll return. But first, let me go kill this guy. Um, In like the most horrible way possible. And then like. But but to her, it's the equivalent of like a cat bringing you like the bird they killed. Like, look what I did for you, honey. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And his face there. Or like when she's like, you know, because she wants everything to be normal again. He's like, the the, the, you you're his blood is on you still. (laughs) And she's like, "Uh, no wire. Come in the shower. Yeah. Oh, or, or their sort of arguments toward the end uh, with some words we're not going to repeat, but oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, really good. That's maybe it, some of my favorite Fincher stuff. It's also like um, wild to me that Rosamund Pike is so fucking good in that. And then I know she's in Saltburn and she's done various other things, but she should be like twice the star that she is right now. Right. Like she's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That the fact that that movie just came up a little shy in nominations, it was. I feel like it was very close for a lot of people. Um, definitely, probably six for screenplay. Mm-hmm. I think Tyler Perry was probably pretty close in supporting. Actor. Oh my god, Affleck was right there, like, an actor. Career best work from Tyler Perry, absolutely. Yeah, I was listening to a. Um, I think I was listening to Blank Check, and they were talking about how he didn't really know a ton about Fincher. You know, he's off making his mogul stuff he doesn't necessarily keep up keep up in the same way mm-hmm. but he gets cast right and i think he's it's like real puzzled and like a little bummed about like the million take situation and i guess at some point sits down next to affleck and he's like what's going on affleck's like, yep this is this could be a 40 take a shot a uh, shot day and just the idea of these three directors who couldn't have more different styles 
Oh, just yeah. meeting in the middle with the most controlling of the three being like, I'm in charge. So like, this is how we're doing it. Oh, it's great. Um, so what did we miss? I have Mank at nine. I have Benjamin Bunn at seven. I have, I ha- you haven't revealed my eight and my six. Gone Girl is five. Killer is four. So what's your, what are you up to? Five? Yes. Yeah, so uh, for five, I have seven. Seven is my three. Yeah, this one is higher for a lot of people. And listen, it's it's an old favorite. I've gone back to it many times. It's it's a movie that, you know, when I was in college and high school was like a favorite to show people who had never seen because it's like it's kind of crazy. But like by today's standards, it's almost digestible, (laughs) even though it's got a lot of really gnarly stuff in it. It's, you know, done in a classy sort of way. And it's just very compelling moment to moment. And it's a good like detective procedural and a great sort of indicator of the better detective procedurals he would go on to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I I really don't have anything against this movie besides one very obvious and very specific thing towards the end, uh, which you don't like what's in the box. I don't have a problem with the box. I have a problem with the person who put things in the box and it's just, it's just, it's just, well, I know it's me and I know I like, yes, like, you know, did it go down in my Fincher rankings after I found out about Kevin Spacey? Yes. But, you know, American Beauty used to be my second favorite movie of all time and now I'll never yeah. watch it again. So shit happens. Um, yeah. I'll still rewatch it because he's in such a small part of it and he's used in a way where you hate him. But... Yeah. I'm less likely to rewatch it now than I was before. And I can't pretend that's not a reason. So that's the only reason it isn't higher. I can't believe you forgot about me. Uh, At least we don't have those videos anymore. Mm. Unless he's planning a return this year. I couldn't care less. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out if it happens. Um, What's your number four? So at number four, I have the girl with the dragon tattoo. My number eight. Ooh, interesting. No complaints, just like, you know, it's very similar to your Gone Girl situation. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where I think this one just hit me at the right time, but also I've gone back many times and it absolutely still kicks for me, so I may just really like it. But it kind of... I do want to rewatch it one day, like from start to finish. Like, you know, some of the more, you know, questionable depictions of sexual assault and other things aside, I think it's just a very compelling movie moment to moment. I think it's, you know... It was a bestseller for a reason. It's got that, you know, sort of page turner quality to the story, but it's got an incredible cast. I love what Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara are doing, and I love their dynamic together. It's it's got this weird psychosexual vibe to it, but also like a strangely like soft, like romantic element to it that like kind of and yet it creeps up on you a little bit, but like it feels and yet so surprising for Fincher. Yeah, and yet how he chooses to end the film is on something in the trash, drives away, go to Christmas dinner. Well, yes, but that's also, if you're familiar at all with the next book, a very clear setup to the character yeah, dynamics there. Yeah, the movie there. we never got. The movie we yeah, never Yeah, they did. are mad at each other for much of the second movie, well, if that we were going to get. Well, yeah. Well, so I've seen the Danish version of the second movie, and eh. it's, no, it's nothing, it's nothing special, but it does have one of the funniest sequences I think I've ever seen in a movie. Which is, Mm. without giving anything away, it's basically, it has to do with the fact that they don't talk anymore. And it's basically an extended sequence of um, 
you know, Lisbeth, you know, dealing with the villain of the piece and, you know, fighting for her life. And at one point she's buried alive and she has to dig out. She's fighting people and she's doing all this crazy stuff. But every now and then it cuts to Mikhail, like supposedly coming to the rescue. But what you're actually getting is, you know, violence, torture. And then it cuts to Mikhail, like stopping for gas or like asking directions <laughs> or like, you know, just the mo- most mundane <laughs> scenes you can imagine. And then back to, you I'm know, the way. crazy violence, torture, you know, buried alive, all this crazy stuff. And then, you know, he's stopping to get a sandwich or, you know, he's uh, looking at the map and it's just <laughs> like, it's, which I mean, like probably, Fincher might've had a lot of fun with that. Exactly. And like, it's probably not intentional, but it's very funny when it's playing out like in such stark contrast. Yeah. And then he finally shows up just in time to be absolutely useless. Yeah, well, that's his kind of his thing. Yeah, the only, I mean, the only thing they took out of the book, I mean, the move, the Swedish ones did them a little bit more, but everyone wants to fuck him for some reason. Yeah, like which is funny because Craig is the one that's they're, they're more indifferent to, but like especially from what I understand, as I don't remember the movies super well, I saw all three, but the the books especially from what I understand, as they go on, it's like every character who pops up who is not male is like also I'd love to fuck uh, Mister Nyquist over there. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I believe in the book, like, there's another there's another family member on the on the island that's like immediately they're all like, I got to get me some of him. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, <laughs> that's kind of missing, which is interesting from the Craig version. But I think he's very good. Yeah. Rooney Mara, obviously, it's a career making performance. Um, it's may I kill him. It's it's one of those things where I just it, it, it just plays to my personal taste really well. It's like because functionally, yeah. it's probably about the same quality as Gone Girl. It's just a matter of sort of what you're personally into. Yep. Agreed. What's next? Uh, number three, I have Fight Club. My number two. Um, yep. It's just, you know, still every bit as sharp of a satire as it was when it came out in many ways more so. Um I agree with his recent comments that anyone who like misinterprets it or thinks that Tyler Durden is a character to be looked up to is like, I don't know what to do for you. <laughs> yeah. You're an idiot. I can't help you. I made my movie. Yeah. Like, um, but it's yeah. terrific. It's really well done. It's really well acted. It's got a great dynamic, uh, between the two leads. Um, and it's just, it's got some of his most creative directing probably but also just broader storytelling which is it feels like a movie where he's using all the tools in the arsenal you know it's the editing and the sound and the music and the montage and all these different things are just sort of played up to the nth degree what was his um it was his first time as i'm a filmmaker with any level of cachet well it it feels like him like if we're going to go with auteur theory, this is him emerging as an auteur as opposed to seven in the game could arguably still fall under not so much director for hire, but you know, this was the first one that like, I'm David Fincher. I want to make a movie work. Well, it feels you like know, alien three was getting a job. This is, there's yeah. a difference between directed by David Fincher and a David Fincher film. And fight club sure. was the first David Fincher film in that sense. Yeah. Seven in hindsight has a lot of his stuff, but it, it, does, it isn't but really until Fight Club that you you realize like, oh, this is the guy. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Um. So it's clear that we're gonna have in your top two. One of them is my number one, and one of them is my number six. Interesting. I, your number two. My number two is Zodiac. My number six. Interesting. No complaints. Just. Again, different, different, uh, different type of chocolate, you know, yeah. um, I, you know what, it, the only thing I remember, and I've, I've watched it in parts recently. I, I do want to watch it again one day when I just have three hours, but, um, first hour, amazing 
Second hour, really great. Third hour, still good. But I, I remember it feeling a little diminishing by the time we got to the, the wrap up. So that's my that was my first take 20, 15 years ago. I don't I don't know. It makes me feel old to think about that. But you know what I mean? Like the first go around as it got as it continued, it kind of went from this is the best movie ever made to like, this is just a really good movie. I mean, I definitely think that's fair. Um, I never felt that at any point in the movie. I think fair. it's it's one of those three-hour movies that flies by for me. Um, sure. I mean, listen, I think that, that The Killer is consistently amazing from start to finish. So mm. there are t- I think the more you're enjoying a movie, the more you also are inclined to just go with whatever's happening next. Totally. Within reason. But that one, you know, I've read the book as well, and which it's very faithful to. And it's uh, mm. it's kind of just... I don't know. I think this is the best of his serial killer stuff, partially because it's got so many like real world true crime details for him to sink his teeth into. Like you can tell he's relishing, you know, the period recreations and all the the sets and the costumes and the finer details and things like that. But he also just crafts a really compelling mystery that, you know, weaves in all Mm -hmm. these different people and places and events, but sort of keeps it all. It's digestible by virtue of the fact that it's maddeningly confusing, but like done in a way that's intentional without actually confusing the audience, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, I mean, also cast wise, you know, cast wise. Great. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. basically giving us a preview of what would be the Tony Stark persona. Um, Yeah. But everyone's great in it. Gyllenhaal, Ruffalo, you know, all the way down. Yeah. I don't know. This one, this one is a banger. It's, I see it frequently brought up as this is his masterpiece. This is his best film. And mm-hmm. while I, pers- I disagree, but you know, you know, I, I feel strongly about my number one choice for that, but I Same. also, it's a movie that I won't argue with anyone who's making that case because if not for this, the existence of this number one movie, it would absolutely be there for me. It's, I, <laughs> I think it's an absolute classic of the genre. And yet, and yet, well, of not the genre. nominated for a single Oscar. No, I know. Probably the most snubbed film in his filmography, honestly. Of only three films of his have not been nominated for Oscars. Name the other two. Have not been. Well, I, I assume Alien wasn't. Alien 3 nominated for an Oscar. More nominated than Zodiac. That's bizarre. Okay, well then, um, The Game? The Game is one of them. What's the other one? Panic Room? That, yep. Okay. Seven has a nomination. Everything else has multiple nominations or in uh, Gone Girl's case, a single. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens with the killer. Yeah. Oh, wait, maybe, you know, Fight Club has at least one. It's got some tech stuff, I'm sure. I, I spaced on that one just now, but I'm 99%. I, I'm positive I'm it's got like right now. editing or yep, something. Yep, no, I got, it's got a solo, solo nomination. And we have the same number one film, Take It Away. Which is The Social Network. Um, Maybe one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I feel like it's silly to talk about any of the rest of them. And it's not in in many ways, it's missing a lot of what you think of of the Fincher hallmarks. But if you look at the core He's... filmmaking and especially with the way that the filmmaking enhances an already fantastic Aaron Sorkin script, yeah. um, it's really it's it's him doing so much with not with a little, but with a very paired back filmmaking style it's not like I mean, Fight club or seven or zodiac where he's kind of pushing the filmmaking style in your face it's very he's half joked his style here is no style well yeah he's he's his style and in many ways his greatest strength in directing this one is to get out of the script's way and to do what he can yep. to enhance the performances as a result it's got probably the best performances just 
overall out of anything he's done, which is not insubstantial to say. Um, I, I still think Andrew Garfield was absolutely snubbed that year. Um, yep, he is Jesse, the heart and soul of the movie. Yep, Jesse Eisenberg. Well, the real character still being a prick. Yeah. Um, Again, this is a movie about billionaires. They're all they're all pricks. Oh yeah, they're all but, awful. But they, it's fascinating seeing it all come together. The structure of it is something that we recently saw somewhat replicated in Oppenheimer to equal yeah. success. And you can see, um, I think one of the hugest credits to this movie is we know the fate of all these people very well at this point. We kind of knew them at the time, not to the same degree, but we know the other people. We kind of knew, we knew Zuck by then, but like Eduardo Severin, he's a prick. He moved to another country because he doesn't want to pay taxes. He is not like this character, but you watch this movie and you are immediately- You're rooting Sucked back into, yeah. I mean, all these guys, like I I think my favorite character in a way remains uh, Dustin, Dustin Moskowitz because he's the one who's like, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. He's a billionaire now. Like, I, in a way that I feel like Joe Mazzella was feeling making that movie. Like, I'm in a Fincher movie. This is great. Just tell me what you want to do. I'm in. Oh, it, it, it is uh, quotable. It's impeccably made and it lost to a thoroughly fine film. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I think fine is generous, to be honest. I, I've gone back the, to it and it is not held up. The bigger crime is director. Well, especially with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And I mean, Hooper Hooper executes that script as well and gets a very good performance out of Colin Firth, right? That it's elegantly look it, it, it. I don't have a necessarily complaint about it. I mean, knowing what we know now about Tom Hooper, you're like, you could, you know, point the camera a little differently. I, the horizon I doesn't always have to be there. I think it's that good, though. Like, I liked I it well enough at the time, but I went back to it and outside of the performances, it's kind of nothing. Well, it's stuck in that same uh, type of movie we've seen a couple times now with Darkest Hour. And they're fine, but I don't know that we get. I know it's hard to like it's one of those ones like it's not necessarily easy to put your finger on mm-hmm. why it was as successful. And it's also not super easy to put your finger on why it now comes up short because it's still the same movie, but it just doesn't have a lot extra to offer. No. And that's where hindsight really kicks it in the ass because look at that lineup um, in hindsight. If you were or I mean, personal preference, I bet you that's seven. I well, I don't know. I can't remember the lineup well enough. But I'm pulling it up right now for the for the purposes of this because like that that lineup, it was a killer lineup. Is, uh, it is. I don't I don't want to call it an all timer necessarily. It's up there. It's it's one that I still think of. In, when the I think highs of- are as high. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It is a ten, year of ten. All right. So I we have the King speech. Give it a give it a one to five if we want to, and just keep track so we can try to order. Oh, uh, I don't know, two. Okay, I give it a three. Black Swan, uh, five. I'll go five too. Uh, the Fighter, uh, three, four. But similar idea. Well, you keep track of what you're doing. We're not that far off. Uh, Inception, uh, five, four. Kids are all right. I don't think I saw it. Put it on your list for January. You'll like it. It's cute. And and uh, Mark Ruffalo, very good. I give it a four. 127 hours. Uh, two. Three. Social Network, five. 
Yeah, five. Hard, hard five. Uh, Toy Story three. Five. Five. Yeah. True Grit. Five. Uh, three, but no complaints. Uh, Winter's Bone. Four. Three or four. But yeah, look, look at that. Like King's Speech, maybe. I mean, it can't be your late, least one because of uh, kids are all right, but. Well, but like second from the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, your bottom tier was what? That 127 hours, the fighter. Yeah. Well, and the fighter I liked at the time, but. Mm. Yeah. Well, your problem with the fighter is just the, the guy. Yeah. And, and you know, whatever with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Fincher. Amazing. You don't love the killer, but we'll see what happens next. Um, before we get to the last thing, let's quickly dive into our questions. We don't have a ton. Um, Josie DeMarco says, um, one of these I probably should have given you ahead of time, but all right. Um, actually, this one, because you might have to think about it. Which 2023 movie character or characters do you relate to the most on a personal level? Personality wise, they're talking. Is there a character this year that's just like, that's me? Or you relate to? Uh, if you've got one, go ahead. I'm going to quickly scan what I've seen this year. Well, I mean, there's element. I mean, it's going to. The problem is some of these sound real dumb until you have to explain, you know? Yeah. Like, like I could make the case of like, fuck, I, I really don't want to be associated with the actor, but like uh, with the flash. Because like, what's the what's the plot of that movie is trying to like save your mom? You know, but that's not really personality wise that's just like what's happening in the movie i'm like yeah that um i think an example would be and this is a movie i'd like you to seek out at some point shortcomings yeah the randall park movie um which uh justin min is the lead which i know intrigued you at the time he uh he's very sort of like guy needs to grow up a little bit like i don't feel like i need to grow up but like that kind of pseudo man child type thing sure you know i always hits for me um, let's see in the top tier of the year. I don't know. If, um, I'm, I, well, okay. I'll, I'll throw one out there. Um, uh, Paul Giamatti's character in the holdovers. Cause I feel like I'm sure. entering my crotchety old man era where I'm just kind of irritated Smelling at like everything fish. that's happening with the world. And I kind of don't have sure. a lot of good things to say about people who aren't consistent with their values. And, Oh, you are, you are, you are getting to the, the miser error of, of miles. I'm, I'm it's kind of, well, I feel like it's, it's very like, amusing, actually, I feel like it's been accelerated this year alone. So maybe that's yeah. why that character, I just see that character is like, he's the crotchety old man. He's an asshole, but I'm also looking at like, yeah, yeah fuck those kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how like the joke, you know, my, uh, our friend Mark Johnson, his handle was Mark likes movies. You know how we all make fun of him as Mark hates movies. Mm. We might have to we might, might have to try to see if Miles hates movie hates life or Miles hates movies is available. Yeah, maybe. Miles Check it hates up. Hollywood. Um, yeah. Can I just say Ryan Gosling and Barbie? <laughs> Ken? I mean, <laughs> do you want to? Is that a character you should relate to? <laughs> I mean, I, I also lost interest in the patriarchy when I realized it wasn't just about horses. Well, there's that. I mean, I can. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say I have anything even close to approximating something like the genius of someone like Oppenheimer, but I can definitely relate mm-hmm. to being forced to be in a room and have people, you know, accuse me of something that's absolute bullshit. And, you know, sure. Just being gotcha. frustrated with the world around me and, you know, rank, you know, nothing on the same yeah, scale, yeah. obviously, but, you know, dealing with the repercussions of, you know, bad choices that you didn't realize were bad in the moment, but now they haunt you. Like I, stuff like yeah, that is, it. I feel like fairly universal. 
Oh yeah, no, uh, you know, it's hard to say because of how specific it is. Um, there's one more question from Josie, but I want to save it for a moment because it's going to lead into what we're talking about. Samuel Lachlan chimes in quickly with, "If Leo hadn't won the Oscar for The Revenant, who would have won instead? Uh, anyone else would have been our choice." Um, Remind me the and then follow up. I'm pulling it up right now, but that's that's uh, notoriously not a great lineup. Um, and then the follow-up was, if he hadn't won that year, I think he would have then uh, won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think that is probably the thought process, though I think the easier win is um, – I mean you want it to be two years before for The Wolf of Wall Street because then the McCona- McConaughey thing doesn't happen. But And The Wolf of Wall Street I think is still his best performance. Yes. Um, I don't – so if he hadn't won – it would have been very interesting to see him go up against Joaquin Phoenix's Joker because that was a force that, that season. It was, but I think if he had that element of still haven't won because that's very much what carried The Revenant right up until the final shot where he's looking at the camera all but begging for an Oscar. Yeah, give me, give me. Like that's, um, I, can't, it been, I can't interpret that last shot any other way. Um, I think he would have won, but I think it would have been... Uh, it would have been close, but I think the fact that he hadn't before then and he's playing an actor as well, I think that would have given him the edge. Yeah, maybe. Um, so the Wolf of Wall Street year, for those who don't remember, that's not what we're talking about, just just to recall. McConaughey wins for Dallas Buyers Club. It hasn't held up, but like is a good performance, just nothing yeah. memorable in the long-ranging aspect of uh, cinematic history. Christian Bale, American Hustle. Fine was never a winner. Like it's Bell, Bell's Bell being showy. We're you know whatever. Bruce Dern in Nebraska. It was comeback nomination. In another era, might have been a winner. Um, obviously, I'm delighted by that. Also, you know, I got to know the guy because of it, so I'm very into that overall. DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor in Twelve Years a Slave. So it would have been an easy win if not for McConaughey. I think. Yep. Give or take the, the genre aspect of it. But here. So when DiCaprio wins for the Revenant, he beats. Hold on your hold on to your ass here. Brian Cranston for Trumbo. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not really on that one, are you? I don't think I've seen Trumbo. <clears throat> it's fine, but like it was an easy one to pick on. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing it was fine, which is probably why I didn't rush out to see it. Yeah. Uh, Matt Damon in the Martian. Really good, but he was not winning. Right. Um, the next one is probably the alternative, but uh, the other option was Eddie Redmayne and the Danish Girl. Oh, well, fuck no. <clears throat> like, how funny is it that we – not funny, but just a couple years in either direction, he either then wins for this instead of Theory of Everything and you get Keaton, right? Mm-hmm. In which case, maybe you could live with this. Or this movie comes out a year or two later and it is panned. Yeah. It's kind of a weird – Time capsule, not in a good way. Yeah, right in the point where this was still like a fetid thing as opposed to. Wait, so hold on. So that's it? No, there's one nomination that I left. I said the most likely winner. It's Fastbender for Steve Jobs. Is that the most? Oh, God, that is a weird line. It's him or Damon or or it's Brian Cranston winning for Trumbo. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to ask, no ever think about again. If you're going to ask personal preference, I would go Dano without a or uh, Damon without a second's hesitation. I mean, I mean, Dano was a snub for supporting actor for uh, Love and Mercy, but well, there you, you know. go. Sorry, yeah, Damon. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that, Damon then Damon Fassbender, Cranston, DiCaprio, Redman. That's my five in yeah. order. 
Like, but it is a weak enough lineup that you can make the argument to just give it to Leo for lack of a stronger alternative. Yeah. Regardless how you feel about the revenue. It almost feels like they cleared out early, like made room. Maybe. It was just, sometimes it's just predetermined that that's going to be the year. Yeah. If only Keaton would have just gone lead and got nominated for Spotlight, that could have worked. Oh, I would have loved that. Um, How I would have, you know what? Um, Samuel L. Jackson, the hateful eight. Uh, wild. It would have been wild, but like I would have preferred it. I mean, it'd be cool for him to win one. I don't know if there were any other real like. I'm trying to think if there's any other like movies of that ilk. Um, Daniel Craig for Spectre. Now, um, not a not an amazing year in terms of like the stuff that got nominated. Because I'm looking if any any other nominated films had a. It wasn't going to be Tom Hardy for Mad Max. No. Wasn't going to be Star Wars. Yeah, I, that's just kind of where it is. Wolf. Uh, is Forrest Whitaker supporting in the last King of Scotland? Sort of, but you know they go lead for that. Yeah, it's one of those ones where technically it is a supporting role, but he's first billed as his face on the poster. The movie's about him more than it's about the main character. It's, it's one of those things... Like, I'll give a lot of leeway to a role like that where it's like, like, that's what you remember. You don't really remember the McAvoy character. You remember Whitaker. You, he dominates the movie even when he's not on screen. And, you know, it's the, the Hannibal Lecter argument where it's like yeah, screen, screen time isn't as important as the impact he has on the movie. Agreed. Um, doubling back on Leo, would he have a bigger, better chance of winning that year if he had been nominated for The Departed? I think Forrest Whitaker was winning. Yeah, I agree. Um, Although I think now, he's very good in The Departed and should have probably yes, been nominated. Yes, he's better in The Departed. So that year you had uh, Peter O'Toole as the alternative for Venus, right? Sure. That was sort of this is his last shot. Movie was only fine. He's good in the movie, but it, it just never got the It's the, not that uh, kind of role, yeah. No. And then the uh, third place finisher was Will Smith for Pursuit of Happiness. Sure. Just like that was that was like the killer Fincher ruthless efficiency of like i want an oscar right it just didn't work until when he did it again for king richard right and then you had um dicaprio getting in for blood time and instead of the departed which hurt his chances i think yeah i agree because you went from because the blood time was kind of seen as like the also ran wasn't i i don't know that well it's one of those things where it's a showier performance in some ways but in a lesser movie and so i think that's what threw people off I think it wasn't really even expected to have any nominations. Yeah. Or like, I, I mean, I don't remember the the tech stuff to know if, because it got both sound categories and like editing. I don't know if it had done the rounds like that. But I think uh, Jaiman Hansu was a surprise on the morning. Yeah. If I recall. I don't remember who he would have knocked. I, oh, yeah. I think he got in the combination of him and Wahlberg over at uh, Nicholson. Yeah, well, I remember Wahlberg was a little bit of a surprise because I think everyone was assuming Nicholson. Nicholson still should have got nominated. I agree. He eats that movie. I don't. I guess why well, I would kick out. Well, and now that it kind of feels like it's probably going to be his last big performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have been fine with him winning. I like Alan Arkin's win, and like you know, he's not. But that, fast, feel, but but like, that feels like a career win, whereas like Nicholson, yeah, like you said, he really eats that role. Yeah, if you would just decide, eh, give him another Oscar, right? He just he can have as many as he wants for that movie with the speech he probably would have given of just like the 
and like tickled nature of like, you gave it to me for this. Um, that would have been great. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, DiCaprio's fourth or fifth. And I think he, I don't know. I don't know if he would have gone much further with uh, Departed, but it would have been a little more likely. And then the bottom tier fourth or fifth is uh, Gosling for half Nelson. Yeah. Even though I think that's the best performance of a lot. That was, that is one of the tiniest films to be nominated for best actor. Yeah. In a way that I love, but like a $700,000 movie. I feel like it does. Um, that probably is less likely these days. Oh, unless so the, unless the actor is like a really big name. Yeah, especially he was not a big name, right? He was still kind of seen as a not not a lightweight. No one thought he was lightweight, but he was a Disney guy. Yeah, he was a Mickey Mouse Club guy. Um, it's a think film release. That company. Wow. Um, you know, filmmakers who hadn't made anything anyone had heard of. Anthony Mackie's not a name yet. Like the fact that it made five million dollars also kind of wild. No, I know. Uh, that's on your list to watch, right? Half Nelson? Uh, let me check. I think it is. If it's not, you're watching that movie because it's very much, I think, up your alley. Yep, it's on there. Or always would have been at the time. Who knows how you'll respond to it now. But I think at the time, you would have loved the, like, shot with the red one camera, you mm-hmm. know? I remember when you watch it and you have that kind of cinematography, this was one of the first. Yeah. And, like, really caught on. Um I remember distinctly um, the uh, Ebert and Roper review when uh, I think Kevin Smith was the guest critic and he went over the moon. He was like, I think it was one of his favorite films in like a decade. Um, And I think you could directly look at like that cinematography is why he made that sort of cinematographer red state, not your thing, but you know, that tiny movie did have a bigger, a bigger jump than, uh, you might otherwise think. And then finally, Sam says, if Paul Giamatti was Oscar nominated for Sideways, who would have missed out on a nomination? Well, the answer is Paul Giamatti still because he just seems to miss out on nominations. But he would have kicked out. I know the instincts immediately to say Eastwood, but that was not what was going to happen, I don't think. Well, that's Million Dollar Baby year, right? That's, yeah, there's no Yeah, <laughs> it was. It, I don't want to say it was seen as a like, surprise because it wasn't a surprise that he got in but that was another hint that like oh they're going for this movie everywhere yeah so actor jamie fox wins for ray that was uh a thousand percent happening so then you you just have sort of also rants because you have dicaprio for the aviator that was his sort of welcome to the club right yeah well not East really million dollar baby Gilbert great before that but i mean welcome to the 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 lead actor like sure, your sure. movie star like it felt like the the beginnings of what was leading him to the win eventually, right? Right. So you have Eastwood, who I think was the fifth, but I, I find it very hard to believe they wouldn't have nominated him. Mm-hmm. So your two options are Don Cheadle, Hotel Rwanda. Yeah. Which is probably what happens. I could see him missing. I mean, it's a similar situation because both Rwanda and Sideways are in picture, right? Yep. No, Rwanda is not in picture. Oh, well, then maybe. Yeah. Rwanda um, has a uh, original screenplay nomination. That might be it. Is it not a picture? Uh, no, it has, no, it has supporting actress for Sophie, Sophie Okonedo. No, the other one is in picture, though. And it's Johnny Depp for Finding Neverland. Oh. Which in, uh, was an early year frontrunner to win. So it's yeah. Don Cheadle, unfortunately. Unfortunately. 
which means Don Cheadle doesn't have an Oscar nomination in this world. Uh, don't like I don't it. Don't like that. Yeah. Uh, don't like it at all. That's one of the problems so, with these retroactive things that sometimes the unintended consequences are worse. Because yep. Giamatti so eventually as, got there. Yeah, for uh, Cinderella Man, a perfectly fine movie. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it, it it doesn't feel, and by the way, I interviewed him, interview coming to the site very soon. Um, it doesn't feel like a, I'm seeking an Oscar nomination role so much as like, I'm a character actor. This is this is an interesting, a good role for me. Yeah. And I think that's a important distinction. Uh, last thing before we leave, Josie DeMarco is teeing me up for the last thing. They say, many predictors have Barbie or Poor Things as a number one to win costumes, but are we underestimating the color purple to win, given that they fulfill both the period and flashy, glitzy, stylish criteria? Um, I have it nominated there. I don't have it winning. Um, hey, so, um, I saw the color purple. Guess what? Everyone loves the color purple. Like, really loves the color purple. You saw some reactions. People love the color purple. So I'm seeing. But somebody doesn't love it as much as everybody else. I thought it was fine. I think I wasn't into the music, which is just it just wasn't memorable to me. I'm sure if you if you saw the production on, on Broadway and you love it, it translates well. I actually had a slight argument with someone on, on the Internet about this, but like it doesn't really matter what I think of the music. Like I don't like rap music. I don't like, you know, I'm not watch I'm not watching classical um, composers, but I like the music in Maestro. I like watching it performed. You know, but on the flip side, I think a better example is I love the movie, The Producers, right? I love the Broadway show. I love that that soundtrack. I love the songs. I know them by heart. The movie version of the of the musical, meh, right? Right. Very and, much so. So, like, how it's performed can make it better or worse. And, like, how it was performed did nothing to make me go over the moon for it. Um, I think the, the, the pacing is very slack. Um, the acting is mostly good. I think Fantasia's fine. In the lead role, I think the character is written in a way that that doesn't help her. Mm. Uh, things just very much. I mean, you know the, the the narrative film, right, or the book at least. A lot of things kind of just happen to her, mm. and the other characters all have more standout moments of like, and now I'm gonna you know make a big thing about what's going on. That's why Danielle Brooks is such a standout. She also has like the most personality of the characters: Taraji P Henson, Coleman Domingo. Like, I think the acting is good. Um, Daniel Brooks is best at show. Um, I don't think the directing did much for me. It's not bad, but there's a lot of just singing at the camera, which is a choice and a style. But for a movie that's purportedly so overflowing with emotion and, and style and like, you know, the idea of a musical, like, like you're so driven the song, right? Mm -hmm. the, the emotions and the world has driven you to song. So much of it is static while that's happening. Um, so I didn't love that part. I do think it ends pretty well. Um, it gets you on the emotion stuff. The third act is, is solid. It, it took a while to win me over. And like, I don't know that it fully won me over and that I'm like wild about it, but my, my thumb is up. Like I didn't dislike the movie. I just, it may just be a different strokes for different folks thing, but I, I do not see the, the like, Oh, this is getting 12 nominations and watch out for wins thing that I think some people are expecting. But, um, I will just caution. We don't know because you know, that same week, Napoleon debuts to better reviews than expected, right? Um, I the think Iron Claw. Exactly what I expected. <laughs> well, all over the place, but more better. Better. The reviews are actually good. Like it's at like 80 something or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, unless it dropped precipitously since then. I'll tell you in a second. Um, oh boy, it did. <laughs> 
69%. Nice. Yeah, that's about um, <laughs> That's about, I don't know. I've seen, if anything, I think you're on the higher side about it. I think, I think, I think as long as you're into the idea that it's funnier than you think. But see, you're, you're is it going to be a it. killer situation where that now I'm disappointed because it's not funny enough? Um, yes and no. The, the humor is weird is the thing. Like he has like a food fight at one point with her. Hmm. Like See, some of the I things know, he yells out that, are that's funny. One of those things that like, on the one hand that like really adds some spice to something like the last duel. On the other hand, that's yeah. the kind of thing that like is everything in house of Gucci and makes the whole movie so fucking tedious. It's closer to last duel in that it's, slipping in it slipped in a lot of moments you're not expecting and the war stuff is very good it's it's not like anything to go crazy over but i thought it worked you know the, but my point was like the iron claw debuted to very strong reviews maybe i'm uh, sure. like on the higher side but almost everyone liked if not loved it right so <clears throat> everything can't be an immediate oscar player slash front runner you know we, and to the question about costumes it's an overall question that i have and i think i'd mentioned this to you off air um, so many of the the tech categories where a film like this will need to do well, it's um, there's three or four locks supposedly already, which is rare. And that kind of makes it harder to because, as we know, the techs don't split like that. You don't have, oh, these three categories go to these three or four films. These other categories go this. They tend to be very boring and very down the line. Here's the movies we like. Right. Yeah. And well, it's a late breaking player and that ha- is helpful. Are they going to forget about Oppenheimer or Barbie? Poor Things is pretty late in the game, too, in terms of the actual voter who cares. So I, I'm not I, I don't know what it's going to do, but I think the rush to say it's going to be like this huge thing is uh, maybe a little quick because I, I don't think it's going to necessarily be a critics group film. And I don't know how the guilds are going to feel about it. And it's Warner Brothers. If it doesn't make money, they'll forget about it in a heartbeat. Well, so I, I'm. Bad. Yeah, I'm I don't even want to say skeptical about its award stuff, but I just I think there is a sense of, oh, this is amazing and huge and going to be a big deal. And maybe you need to hit the brakes a little bit Um, because I don't know, maybe again, these first screenings are the friendliest audience you will ever get. Right. They're a step removed from friends and family. Mm -hmm. So if, if it doesn't play like this, it's a problem. And we've seen that time and time again, you know, the the early word. For we, we see this with Marvel, right? The early world is word is through the roof on a lot of these, right? And then it comes down to earth. Or sometimes you'll hear that something is a disaster and it's awful. And then you actually see it and you're like, oh, this is fine, whatever, right? Yeah. So the, the comeback down is always important. Um, so until we have more of that, it's impossible to know what it's, it's going to do. And I just, I don't know, I thought it was fine and, you know, a little, little, it was too long and like math paced and like just a, a perfectly acceptable musical with a lot of heart and will mean a lot to a lot of people. But I think if it doesn't hit you in that same way, you're going to be a little more indifferent like I was. So time will tell. All right. So that's where we're at on that. Miles, if slash when you see it, we'll we'll check back in on that. But I'm sure it's not high on your list. It's I mean, I'm not going to avoid it, certainly, but um I don't know that it's, well, it's not your genre. most anticipated. Yeah, so it'll it'll work itself in there. So uh, what's next for you? So Thanksgiving, we're breaking for a little bit. 
Um, what are the next thing or two you think you're going to be seeing? Because I believe, unfortunately, the next movie I'm going to be seeing is Wonka. Oh, uh-huh. well. Like in theaters. Like I have, I have, um, I will be revisiting some things and um, I have to check in about when I can talk about the other thing I saw. But other than that, gotcha. or see, depending on when you hear this, whether I've seen it or not. But, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, Wonka, if I even do it, but. Oh, I don't want to see that movie. Well, <laughs> what's next for you? I got to say, maybe not next, but I got to say Poor Things is like right around the corner. Excellent. Excellent. Which I can't I'm wait there. for you to see that. Oh, I'm so excited. That's, I mean, out of everything that's still left to come this year, that is far and away the one that I'm most excited for. Can't um, wait for you to see that. Um, what about Saltburn? When are you getting that? Which one? Oh, Saltburn. Uh, Saltburn. Saltburn is out. <laughs> Saltburn may be a uh, a trickier prospect to take Kelly to, thanks to one of the actors describing one of the scenes. What I, what what happened? What I miss? Uh, Mr. Alordi has some thoughts about the scene where. I mean, you've seen it. The the come in the bathtub. Um, what is, what does he say about that scene? That scene's amazing. He was very proud that it was his come and that Barry just went for it. And I read that oh. quote to Kelly, and she's not as interested in seeing the film now. I mean, it's not as big a scene as, as they're making it out to be. But in terms of the provocative or gross-out content, if you will, is that is that no, an outlier or is that kind of indicative? It is an outlier to some degree. Um, have you seen Fair Play yet? Not yet, but I want to. Okay, that's that's on Netflix. That's a thing that's that's... It shares one thing in common with that movie, which is funny when you see it that like, oh, we're one away from a think piece. Um, And there's one or two other like out there things in the film, but it's not a. Yeah, I think I think he's overselling that scene. Like you don't see what you think. She's not going to see what she thinks she's going to see. Okay, just because I would. uh, She she wasn't alone in reading that because I don't know. I did Babylon last year. My tolerance for gross out stuff for the sake of gross out stuff is pretty low at this point so i don't i don't i I think it's it's less gross out and more it's that comes at a point in the film where you're you're still not 100 percent sure how how like crazy dangerous horny whatever um barry's character is you're Mm -hmm. still kind of figuring him out and that's one of the first times we go oh I, I now do not know what he's going to do next. Mm. And the movie kind of runs with it past that point. The movie, I think for a lot of people, that's sort of the point where the movie gets crazier and better. I like the movie throughout, but the, the early parts are very a lot more mellow by comparison. Sure. No, I, I'm yeah, still so. curious to check it out, but it, it may take more convincing to make it happen than it would have initially. Sure. I think, uh, I think it's fair to, to say that it's, you know, it's not played for laughs, but this is like a f- black comedy, mm. psychological thriller, whatever drama you want to call it. In the way that like Promising a Woman is meant to be funny also, right? Mm. Darkly funny. Um, she's got a very specific vibe. It's much closer to that and and with the sort of basis of Ripley than an, a, a Babylon or a... Trying to think of what I don't know. Poor Things is a is a hornier, wilder like sex movie than than Saltburn. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between like a sex positive movie, like even something like Joyride, for example, versus something that's just showing you like depraved shit. Um, I think it's it's not for the sake of doing it. I think it's for the sake of 
this character. So it's it's much more character based than I think uh, maybe he. I don't know. I don't know why he needed to tell you he was jerking off in the tub, but. It's, I don't know, I just, there was a disgusting film tweet that's like, Jacob Elordi re- reacts to Barry Keegan uh, lapping up his <clears throat> cum in the bathtub in Saltburn. I'm like, I feel like know, it's unlikely that he actually did that. Well, maybe, maybe not, but I'm just reading it and, you know, we should all know less about each other, etc. I mean, I, like, here's my question. Like, is that even, like, allowed? Like, how do you jerk off on a film set? Oh, I don't know if it's actually his come or if he's just talking about like the character. I don't know. The phrasing of it definitely made it seem like it was something you would see in the film and be able to identify its source. Oh, I'm reading it now. Hang on. And the moment comes. I'm not reading the actual scene just in case people are, uh, you know, spoiler adverse. Uh, I was very proud to have him guzzling it like that. Uh, first thought, thank God it's my... Yeah, I, I think it's just a poorly worded thing. I don't, he's not. It's not his actual stuff. It's it's movie cum. Oh, great. <laughs> it, what a poorly worded. Like, no, oh, Jacob, don't do that. Now Miles is going to have to struggle to watch this movie. It's just I. It, it's probably it's nothing against the movie itself, but it's it's I've seen you know too what many is? other things that that reminds me of that now make me go. Yeah. Oh. I'll tell you what it is. It's Jacob Elordi not knowing how to discuss this movie in a way that like Emerald Fennel is more capable of talking about this movie. Um, my interview with well, her coming soon on the well, well, between Priscilla and him shit talking the stuff that he did when he was a younger actor, he may just not know how to talk about any movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe he needs to just not talk. You know what? A lot of people need to do that mm. recently. And then other people should continue talking, but maybe, you know. Change a word here or there. And then other people need to just not react to certain things that are being said. You know what? We're circling the drain mm. as a culture. Things are going great. And we wonder why, My- why Miles is uh, raging at the world. Why, why I'm in my holdovers era. Exactly. Truly uh, the movie of our times, the holdovers. All right. Let's wrap up before uh, we start just like beating people. Uh, next week, uh, potentially Michael Kennedy. We will have him on. I promise. Yes. Um, we will, we will talk about why he's not on. We'll also make a joke of it. Um, Miles knows the reason, and it's kind of funny. The, the reason it's is funny, not funny, but it's but the it's kind of the a, comp- it's kind the, of an amusing quirk of fate. Yes, and then uh, the, the the way we're going to intertwine it with something that happened to you will will in fact be mildly amusing. I think. I think so. Be, between, because of the parties involved, um, so that'll be fun. Um, we actually. I think uh, Miles suggested this. I think we're retiring the Armin White game, at least for a while. But we might go out with a banger of like having Michael play it. Well, if we can convince um, him. <laughs> well, you showed me one that you're like, I think this just might be the end. We reached the end of the Internet. It's it's so. he's he's outdone himself recently. <laughs> if you know, you know. Think, <laughs> yeah, which makes me think we have to use that one and then just pull a couple more. And then if we're going to come back to the game at some point, just wait and, you know, halfway through next year or something until there's a whole bunch more because they are what they are, right? Yeah. Um, I'm pulling it up right now just to look like, oh, he's got takes on the killer, Priscilla, Killers of the Flower Moon, Taylor Swift. He finally got the dumb money. Oh. Oh, boy. What was the movie you told me about? The Killer. Do you know that his pull quote on Rotten Tomatoes is not the one you showed me? Oh, is it worse? No. Because the one I showed hmm. you is 
I mean, it's up yeah. there with his worst. Yeah. No, here. You know what? Here's how we're going to go out on. I'm going to give you the one from the killer. All right. You get Miles. Say we can be followed. And then I'll read it to you. Uh, you can follow me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. Stay tuned for news updates about the uh, next one. What that one's called? Uh, Miles in Bed. Actually, not far off. <laughs> All right. Excellent. I, from what little you've told me, I'm like, I'm interested. I, well, when you reveal, we'll, we'll, we'll do a segment and then we'll... Uh, We'll figure it out. Uh, but I am I am very keen on that. All right. You ready? Ready. Fincher's rejection of the Smiths aims to destroy the band's great contributions to civilization. This anti-art horror film appeals to the hipster appetite for self-destruction. He's mad about the Smiths. Well, so, well, so that and the version I showed you, he was hung up on the Smiths, which is such an arm and thing to get hung up on. Yeah, but the direction he took yours in was uh, troubling, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, all right. You can find me at Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Uh, the other stuff I don't use, Awards Radars on several of those things. Um, yeah, we're, we're in it. Um, the Gotham Awards are next week. Oh, wow. Yeah. They don't matter, but like. But, but like it, it's kind of a sign that the precursors are slowly sort of begrudgingly lumbering awake exactly well none of what happens will change our our predictions per se but it'll be something new to talk about it actually works out because um next week i will be uh attending an event with one of the honorees at the gothams you know their bullshit uh awards they give out so they can get try to get people to watch so you know how like all those movies are the ones that wouldn't be eligible Mm -hmm. the the airs and the barbies and the maestros and did we just get another one Air, Barbie, Maestro. Is there a fourth one? Ferrari might have one, right? I think so, yeah. I think those are the four. So I will be attending an event for Barbie the day after. Um, so, yeah. Ken and Barbie will be hanging out with me. There you go. Should I wear pink? No, I shouldn't wear pink. <laughs> I think that's a little, little cliche for that movie, right? It's on the nose, yeah. If you have got the hoodie. Yeah, exactly. I do have the hoodie. Should I wear the hoodie to the really fancy event? <laughs> I mean, it'll make a statement. <laughs> True, but maybe not the one I want, considering, you know, Gosling is still on the list for uh, trying to get him eventually. Right. I don't know if that's the vision I want him to have of me. We'll see. Readers, let me know. And then we'll tackle what Miles has caught up on and, you know, what I can start to talk about because the the screeners are coming in. So it's exciting. Um, In the meantime, we are we will look forward to talking to you hopefully with Michael next week on a quick aside. Those of you who sort of do physical media still Oppenheimer. 4k yes with nolan even telling you like i put effort into this buy it like i think that's pretty cool i think that's very cool that's and that's a movie that like you know if i'd gotten that in high school i would have just devoured all those bonus features i still probably will but i'll have to pace it out now exactly and it's and it's a guy who is admittedly like he said like Fucking watch it on your phone. I don't give a shit. Like, watch my movie, right? He doesn't want you to, but, like, at a certain point, he's resigned to, like, just watch the movie, right? Yeah. For the good of cinema, watch the movie. But at the same time, if you're not coming to the theater, my next chance to get you is to just kill the home release, right? And I'm just going to do the old-fashioned way of supervising the Blu-ray in 4K and, like, make it great. So, I'm in. Hell yeah. Yeah, so whether you watch it at home, see something in a movie... 
that's where we'll see you. Stay safe. Don't don't be awful like most people in the world right now. And uh, yeah, we'll see you at the movies. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content. <laughs>